We are back in our series, Is the Old Testament Obsolete? It's been a few months since we've been talking about this. And in those months, more things have gone obsolete. I'm really surprised at how you all are getting older. Every day you're getting older. Uh, I just, I shake my head at it. Like, what's wrong with you all? Um, no, we're all, we're all getting older and things are going obsolete faster. You ever notice that? So what, what is so in demand and so, you know, relevant today, tomorrow might not be. I've got a object up here and I'd love to unveil it for you. Some of you know exactly what it is, especially if you did children's ministry 20 years ago or more. Uh, this was high tech. Do we have any kids in here that want to make 20? $20, not 20,000. Uh, any of you kids? Okay. Over there. Yes. Uh, yes. You come on up. All right. Let's give her a hand. Okay. I'm going to keep the 20 until you're done with this. Okay. So you come over here and stand on that side. All right. What's your name? Clara. Clara. And do you have any idea what this is? Okay, now see if you have an idea of what it is now. Do you know what this is? No? Okay. Well, that actually is good because it helps my illustration. All right, how many of you know what this is? Okay, half of you. That's, that's really sad. Are you sure not more of you know what this is? This was a big part of my childhood. You know? Okay, come over here. I'm going to have you push that button. Oh, now check it out. Look. Oh, wait. There it is. Turn down the lights, guys. See, we can't even control our own lights. Talk about technology. Okay, there we go. So this is what's called an overhead projector. And so you have this really high-tech thing. What do we even call this? Transparency. And you put it on there. You see that? It's, it's like on there. And then you put it on there and then it shines it up. And you got to make sure it's not backwards, right? And this is the pledge to the Christian flag. And it looks like something is really dirty on this thing. I don't know if it's the... We haven't maintained this properly after all these years. But uh, was this something we found here, Karen? Uh-huh. The overhead was found here. So this was something we used. How many of you would have used this or an overhead from Quentin Road? Oh, wow. Some of you really dated yourselves. All right. Isn't that, isn't that pretty amazing, Clara? Yeah. 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 You want one now, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah your parents are like, you better not. All right. So this is an overhead from Grace Frizane. And uh, she just went through a lot of stuff. I guess Ken was uh, a, not a hoarder, but a saver of important things. Uh, lots of music. Uh, for all of his orchestras and stuff. So uh, she found this, and I thought that would be really cool. And then there's the uh, the pledge. So what you would do is you'd move it around or put a piece of paper and hide like the, the different things and then reveal it. And then down here is the pledge to the, to the Bible. Pretty cool, huh? All right, turn that off for me. There's probably an app for that too. All right, let's give Clara a huge hand. Well done. Oh, one last thing. Spend that quickly before cash goes obsolete. Okay? All right, good. 
$20 used to be so much money. But can you buy much for $20 these days? Seems crazy, doesn't it? If you go to a fast food place, uh, it, just you, you might be spending close to $20 at a fast food place. Crazy, isn't it? All right. There's something that will never go obsolete, friends, and that's this. Isn't that wonderful? We have a really old book. I mean, this is really old. It's been completed for over 2,000 years, but it's still relevant and, and life-changing and life-impacting today. And not just, not just the, the second third of the book, but the entire book is relevant today. As a matter of fact, the Bible has some verses about that in Isaiah 40. This is our theme verse for the series. Verse 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. The word of our God will stand forever. And we have something here that is going to last. It's going to uh, continue to be alive when we pass. Uh, and it's going to help generation after generation, generation after generation. We were in Alaska recently, and they have something called fireweed. It's the most beautiful flower. I wish they wouldn't call it a weed. Uh, the reason they do is because it comes up quickly after a forest fire. And it's the, it's a long stem and the flower starts low and, and it goes all the way up. And then they said when it's, when it's at, when it's almost lost all its petals, winter is about to come. And summer only lasts maybe two months in Alaska, but beautiful, beautiful uh, flowers all over, um, that part of the country. And, but the flowers fade, the grass withers, but the word of our God stands forever. Say amen if you're happy about that. Amen. Now, we, we call the, the first two-thirds of our Bible the Old Testament. It's, it's just what we've called it. Now, does, and some people assume that that means it's replaced. We don't need it anymore. It's old. Some people have said, well, let's call it the Hebrew Scriptures, and that's probably a good name for it, or let's call it the Older Testament, Okay. But, but when we call it the Old Testament, it really implies that it's out of date. Now, the Old Covenant is out of date, and that was the covenant that God gave his people in Israel, that they could be a light to the world, and he gave them all sorts of laws to follow. The problem with the laws is they broke the law even before they received the law. And then when they received the law, they had broken the law again on Mount Sinai when the, the law says of the Ten Commandments to not worship any other gods. And they had already started to worship the golden calf. And that's our problem. That's the problem with any religionist. The Jew that's religious or orthodox. The Jew that's trying to earn salvation through works or the Catholic or the Protestant or the Hindu or whatever the religionist is, they're trying to obtain nirvana, heaven, paradise by their good works. But God says, your righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. The best you can do on your own is absolutely despicable in the eyes of God. So friends, we have no hope apart from God coming to do what we couldn't do. And the New Testament is the new covenant, and it's in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And now we have the power to live the way God wants us to, to fulfill our purpose, purpose because of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And if we yield to the Spirit of God, we can fulfill all the things that God has for us. So you say, well, what's the place of the Old Testament today? Well, the place is, we really wouldn't understand a lot of the stories and illustrations and references and quotations in the New Testament without the Old Testament. Some have been preaching lately that uh, the Old Testament is just not necessary. Why, why are we focusing on it anymore? Well, this church says, hey, we, we, we really wouldn't understand a lot of the foundation, the, the important things of God without the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis. And that's where we find ourselves today. What we've been doing in this series is using a principle uh, found in the New Testament and using that as a springboard to go back to the Old Testament and read about the story, the episode, the principle uh, that is there. So we're going to do that again today as we answer the question, where did all the water go after Noah's flood? Have you ever been asked that question? Have you ever thought of that question? That's a good question, right? The one question is, where did all the water come from? Where did all the water go? How did all the animals fit on the ark? Right? These are questions that people ask, especially if they're critical of Scripture. But these are good questions, and we have good answers. Okay? Hopefully. We'll go into that today. Uh, I believe we have good answers because they come from the Word of God. Second Peter 3.3, 3, a New Testament passage referring back to the flood, also referring to the future. I love when the Bible connects something in ancient past into prophetic future. And this is one of those places. Knowing this, 2 Peter 3, 3, first, that there shall be, there shall come in the last days. Anytime the Bible says last days, it's referring to the end times, the final days of this planet as we know it. Scoffers. Now, is that true today? Scoffers walking after their own lusts? Absolutely true. It's the predominant narrative that this is uh, maybe somewhat true, but it's not all true. And those things that are true are your opinion and your truth. And you can have your truth as long as you don't say there's one truth. That's when you can't have your own truth, when you say there's one truth. Uh, but scoffers, people that mock the things of God. They mock the way God designed gender and sexuality. They, they mock the fact that life is sacred and begins in the womb and it goes all the way to the end of natural life and we need to protect that, that sacred, unique human life that is unique and different from any other life that is on this world. The idea that God created is mocked. It's scoffed at. It's the, the idea that there was a global flood is scoffed at today. Well, a lot of Christians are embarrassed by this, but they shouldn't be because when you really study this through, you're going to find out that the science is on our side. Observable science is on the side of the Bible. Why is that the case? Well, because you weren't there. But God was, and he tells us what happened. Okay, how foolish are we to think that we can figure out what happened apart from God? Okay, verse four of Second Peter three and saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's another thing that's mocked. If you believe that Jesus is coming back like I do, like this church does, you're also going to be mocked. 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. Now, this is an important sentence, and I think that this is in reference to what we call today uniformitarianism. In other words, that all that we see has always been the same rate, the same process, the same time, especially geologically. Okay, We're going to come back to that a lot today. In verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by what? The word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. I believe that's the reference to creation when God brought land up out of the water. The whole earth was water. The land was brought up out of the water. And then God started to populate the seas and the land and the skies in these six literal days, 24-hour days of creation. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being what? overflowed with water, perished. This is not a local flood. That's another thing that some Christians say. Oh, this was a local flood. Well, why would God bring two animals onto the ark if it was a local flood and they could just go to high ground? That's a silly thing. Okay, we're talking about a global flood. So here, Peter references the flood. The global flood, the whole world perished. And so does Jesus in Matthew 24, 37, again comparing something in the future with something that happened in the past. As the days of Noah were, okay, so we're talking about Noah, a real historical figure. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, God in the flesh, and was perfect and could not sin and could not lie and could not get things wrong, He believed in a literal, historical person named Noah. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So as as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes back, the second coming of Jesus onto this earth. That's the end times. So what were those days like? Well, the Bible says they were wicked. The thoughts of man was continually wicked and violence was happening. All sorts of heinous things were happening. Finally, God said, enough is enough. I'm going to destroy the world, but I'm going to save the one family that is righteous. That is Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. As in the days that were before the flood, this is Jesus talking about a flood of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So they were just living their life. They were not heeding to the warnings that, that God had given through Noah. And knew not until the flood came and took, what, them all away. Is this, is this a local flood? No, this is a global, massive water catastrophe. You say, well, if there was such a thing as a global, massive water catastrophe, wouldn't you see evidence for that? Yeah, how about billions of fossils laid down in layers that go across continents and actually go across oceans. Okay, is that evidence of a global water catastrophe? These fossils had to be laid down and these sediments had to be laid down with water. This was a massive global flood. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, Jesus is saying that uh, people won't be ready. They won't be taking the warning seriously. And the, wor- the world was destroyed at that time by water, in the future by fire. God said, I'll never destroy the world again by water. Every time you see a rainbow, it's a promise of that. 
So what, let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go back and find out what Jesus and Peter were talking about with this flood. Well, Genesis 7, 4, it says, Yet seven days I will cause it. So Noah had gotten on the ark, the door was shut, and seven days it's going to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And people say, well, there's no way 40 days of rain could possibly flood the entire world. Okay, we're going to talk about that. How is that possible? And every living substance that I've made, I will destroy from off the face of the earth. We know the only exception to this are those that were on the ark of air-breathing um, creatures, man and the animals. Now, God didn't say to take the, the fish, maybe not the, the reptiles, anything that can survive in the water, but everything else um, brought on the ark and all the rest of the living creatures were going to die. Now, we've already covered these things, but let's remember the size of the ark. This is very important. When all of you go and see the full sale, full scale, full size ark at Answers in Genesis in Northern Kentucky, you all are amazed at the size, right? It's because we have this image of a little, uh, church nursery boat, a little boat with a couple draft heads sticking up. And you just think, how could all the animals fit on the ark? And that's a logical question. Well, when you see it, 450 feet by 75 by 45, the ark's volume is a million and a half cubic feet of space. This is a massive, massive ship when you talk about the three floors. And if you were able to put average-sized animals, so you take the average of the animals and put them in the ark in a cage their size or a little bit bigger than them, the ark could fit 125,000 of these animals. So then the question is, well, aren't there millions of species? How could there, how, how would there, uh, wouldn't you need more than 125,000? Well, here's what you have to understand are the kinds. The Bible talks about the kind. What is a kind? It's basically a species that can't uh, have offspring with another species. They're, they're locked in. So in other words, the horse kind would include the, the, uh, the donkeys, the zebras, everything that's in the horse kind. At one point, they would have come from two original horses. Or the dog kind is another great example because you have so many variations of dogs today, but they would have all come from a probably more of a wolf-like creature. That's a kind. So instead of needing a chihuahua, which I'm not even sure is a dog, um, or some of these other, sorry if you have one. No, I'm not. Uh, hey, but listen, I would rather have a chihuahua than a cat, okay? Amen? Do we have an amen here? I tell you what, I, I got some real serious hate mail last time I said this on the radio. People were not happy. I, th- I think I said, I love cat tastes like chicken. But people misunderstood that. I don't know why, why they had such a problem with that. I got to stop saying stuff like that. We'll never grow our ministry. Now listen, folks, just relax, okay? We're just joking around kind of about the cats. Okay, so the kind is very important. You have the cat kind. You have the, um, you know, the, the dog kind. So you, you, that's going to really pare down the number. So how many animals would need to fit on the ark? And this is even counting extinct animals. You're talking about four to 7,000. Let's even say 10,000, just to be safe. Could you fit 10,000 animals on an ark that's big enough for 125,000? Absolutely. You've got lots of room. You've got room for food, room for water, room for the family, room for them to have a space. 
We have plenty of room on the ark now, don't we? When you understand the kind and you understand uh, how many there would have been. Now, you say, well, what about dinosaurs? Well, I wouldn't probably take a full-size T-Rex, okay? Just take a young one. And the young ones are going to be better after a year being on the ark at breeding and so forth. And so um, that's just the way, a smart way to do it. So you're not having uh, necessarily these massive animals on the ark. Okay. So that's a little bit of review. The ark is plenty big once you understand the kinds and the size of the ark. Another question has been, how can there be enough water in rain to flood the entire earth? To cover the highest mountain. Now we have very high mountains, right? The Himalayas are massive. Thousands and thousands of feet high. So how do you cover that? Well, there's a couple of things you have to remember. The Bible seems to imply that we didn't have mountains as we do today at that time. In the original creation, they would have had hills. The Bible says the water covered the highest hills. So I would say maybe a small mountain or a high hill would have been the highest of these hills or mountains at the time of creation all the way up to the flood. You say, well, then why are there such high mountains today? The Himalayas, Mount Everest, um, you know, Denali, whatever these high mountains are, and they're really high. What caused that? Well, we know what's causing that. It's the collision of plates. And that's what, what's happened in the Himalayas. It's, they're still going up today. Uh, the, the, the mountains in Canada, we were on our way home from Alaska. We went through Banff and these are magnificent mountains. They're still rising today from plates, either subducting or running into each other. And we know that's how these mountains are, have formed. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. So the mountains weren't as high as they were today. And also the Bible doesn't say all the water came from rain. Okay. It talks about the fountains of the great deep opening. So it was like, it was likely that there was a supercontinent at the time of creation. The Bible says that all the land was gathered together and the sea was gathered together. And, and by implication, I feel like there was a massive supercontinent. People have called it Pangea, uh, which means one earth. Okay. And, and there might have been a shallow sea within that. But it wasn't all these continents divided by oceans like it is today. And there's another reference in Revelation. Actually, let's look at that real quick. In Revelation 21.1 about the renewed uh, earth that it, it seems like in the renewed earth there's no more sea. I saw a new heaven and a new earth and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. So I think that doesn't mean there wasn't any ocean or body of water, I think it, it means that there wasn't a big body of water like the Atlantic, Pacific, Indian Ocean, Gulf of Alaska, whatever, that are separating people and continents. I think it's a reset back to the way it was before uh, the flood. Okay, so the water didn't all come from rain. It came from the unzipping of plates that we now know as plate tectonics. We're gonna talk about that. So the fracturing of these plates would have caused these great fountains, this hot magma to instantly be in touch with ocean water and shoot these massive steam geysers up into the stratosphere, causing what? Condensation. Rain. Okay? And that probably would have gone on for about 40 days. Okay? So the mechanism is all there if we understand 
uh, the clues that God has given us in the Bible. Now let's continue to look at Genesis 7, and I've got several videos I'm going to be playing for you today as well. Genesis 7, 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, how would you like to be celebrating your 600th birthday? And you're not, you're just a little over the hill. In the second month, the 17th day of the month, the Bible's giving us a very specific time frame here. This isn't some mythical figure. This is a real person. This is an actual date. Second month, 17th day of the month. The same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up. So this is about a week after they get into the ark. All the animals God brought to the ark. The door is shut. And all the fountains of the great deep broke open. Broke, uh, were broken up. So we have here, I believe, a reference to uh, what's called catastrophic plate tectonics. Or these big plates. You have the continent of the United States is a big continental plate of mostly granite type of rock, about 60 miles thick. And then the oceans, you have a different plate. And they would have all been pretty stable in, in the original creation, but something happened. And some geologists have, have theorized that a big, um, hot blob of, of the rock from the center of the earth came up and would have uh, made a, a breach and that would have created what's called runaway subduction and it, it would have accounted for all the things that we're talking about today. The windows of heaven were opened. So you have this water shooting up and coming down as rain. The rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, in order for you to understand the ramifications of all this rain and seismic activity, so you have the plates moving apart, you have the seam splitting and the mid-ocean ridges, you see them today, it looks like a baseball seam. You have the, the new magma coming up, it's, uh, it's conveyor belting, cooling down, and then uh, the real dense stuff is dropping way, way down because it's denser and uh, heavier. It's going down in, in the deep trenches of the ocean. Some of these plates are going under other continental plates. Some of the plates are sliding next to each other. Like in California, you have the San Andreas Fault, the plates of the Pacific Ocean sliding along the North American plate, causing what? Earthquakes. So you have earthquakes, we have the plates subducting, uh, the ocean plate is denser and heavier going under the continental plates. So you have in that zone, you have volcanoes. So you have lots of heat, you have lots of volcanoes, you have super volcanoes, you have ash spreading all over. The flood wasn't over in just a few days. For sure it was 40 days. It could have been up to 150 days that all of this massive seismic activity, tidal waves, some of you were really worried last week when you heard Alaska had a earthquake and there were tsunami warnings. And I'm glad you were worried about Karen. I'm sure you weren't worried about me. I wasn't worried about a tsunami because they gave you life jackets on the uh, ship. And, and you're on a ship, so you should be okay, right? But uh, two weeks before, when we got, first got to Alaska, we spent a few days there. We did feel, or I did feel an earthquake. There was one uh, in Anchorage and I felt two jolts early in the morning. And I, I often have nightmares of earthquakes and the house collapsing on me and all this stuff. So I, I wasn't sure, was this a dream? You know, was this real? And I, I didn't say anything until we were at breakfast and we overheard people talking about an earthquake. I'm like, cool. That was an earthquake. I wasn't dreaming. But you imagine all of the upheaval that would have been happening on the earth. And, and that also is, is heating up the oceans. 
All of this is totally making sense of what we see on earth. So what would be the ramification of all these tsunamis coming over the land, eventually covering the highest of the hills on the whole planet is covered, the ocean, as it's, uh, as it's warmer, it's uh, less dense, it's rising. So all that water that were in the original oceans now flooding up over the land. You have all these processes happening, wave after wave. Well, that's laying down wave after wave of sediments and burying these animals and these fossils. And you're finding it all over the world. One of the best examples of evidence for a global catastrophe, a global flood, is in the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Another magnificent place. We had the opportunity last year to raft the Grand Canyon with a PhD geologist. And we filmed it. And we filmed this wonderful family that won the trip from Ingrace. And we went down with two rafts and a bunch of people, Ingrace friends, and we had a marvelous time. But we're looking for evidence of the flood, and the Grand Canyon on all those layers out west would have been laid down during the flood, and then the receding waters, as they came off the, the land, uh, would have been gouging out the Grand Canyon. So I want to show you a clip of what we call Ellie's Grand Rafting Adventure. This is part four. We're actually re-airing re it right now on TBN. You want to watch these because it gives you a lot of insight into the Grand Canyon and evidence for a global flood. So here's a clip that I think you'll enjoy um, the, it's kind of a recap or summary of the entire expedition. And this is Scott and he's sharing for his family some of his emotions as we are about to be flown out of the Grand Canyon. And after that, I give a summary of all the flood evidence that we found in the Grand Canyon. Around every corner, there was something grand and it just grew in scale and scope, became bigger and more grand. <laughs> This beautiful setting, the kind and patient people mm -hmm. who stood around as we worked through different situations, the skilled boatman mm -hmm. turning into a kindergarten teacher and reading us a story That's right. from the boatman's tale That's right. about what a kind word can do mm -hmm. to change a situation from mm -hmm. bad to good. That's right. It was grand on every level. As the helicopters arrived to come fly us out of the canyon, back to the rim world, I started to reflect on the last seven days. It's amazing how much can happen in a week. In a week, God created all of this. In a week, we rafted nearly 200 miles. It took a week for mostly strangers to become lifelong friends. I thought back to the quicksand and Dr. Danny Faulkner's quicksand cannonball. Well, you're you're watch this. <laughs> I thought of gazing at a sky full of stars, framed by the canyon, taking my breath away. I thought of wearing my life jacket in a most unconventional and uncomfortable way to body raft the little Colorado River. I thought of the amazing turquoise blue of the river, the clear green color of the Colorado River, all the shades of red in the walls of the canyon and in the skies above the canyon. I thought of the amazing hikes up to amazing heights. I thought of Heather's determination and how she encouraged all of us. I thought of jokes being played and jokes being told. I thought of rapids and how rapidly all this had passed 
too fast. Come on, go do it, okay? So good here. just got off the helicopter you gotta tell me what it was you... so fun i could see everything from the front seat it was awesome was that would you put bring that up there with one of your better experiences or best experiences yes trip? definitely, definitely. <laughs> what do you think dad sweet <laughs> i wish we could ride around a little bit more <laughs> it was sad seeing everybody on the beach waving us off the, and the river disappearing beneath us it was so sad, but well, that wasn't very sweet. That helicopter ride was so fun. <laughs> I thought of the evidence we had seen for creation and Noah's flood. The fossil log with its fronds buried several layers underneath, proving that it could not have taken millions of years to be buried, but only several hours, evidence of a massive flood. We also learned that the Colorado River is not powerful enough to clear out the wall collapses that form the rapids. How could it possibly have carved out the entire canyon? More evidence for Noah's flood. I thought back to how we learned that the Coconino sandstone crossbeds were at the angle, showing they had been formed underwater, not in a dry desert. More flood evidence. Then there were the reptile or amphibian tracks, always going uphill as if they were trying to escape from something. And the tracks were made in wet sand, not dry, with their bodies found many layers above the tracks. This is not possible if the layers took millions of years to form. But it is what you would expect if there was a massive water catastrophe. And then there were the dolomite stripes in the red wall. Dolomite is only formed in warm water, and the fountain of the great deep breaking open in Noah's flood would create these warm water conditions. More flood evidence. Next, I thought of the nautiloid fossils. Billions of them all pointing in the same general direction from as far away as Colorado, proving a directional flow of massive proportions, more evidence of Noah's flood. Monument fold is evidence that the layers were still wet when the plateau was pushed up, causing this fold with no evidence of reheating or fracturing. More evidence that the biblical narrative of Noah's day is accurate. The great unconformity, an enigma for the evolutionary paradigm, is missing thousands of feet of material. Uniformitarianism can't explain this, but the Bible and Noah's flood can. The worm and trilobite trails at Deer Creek Falls showed us rapid burial and extreme complexity, 
at a layer that evolution says is where the first so-called simple creatures evolved. Once again, the trails and bodies of the creatures are separated by hundreds of feet in height. Impossible if it took millions of years, but easily explained with a massive flood. And Vulcan's anvil showed evidence of how a massive release of water can carve massive canyons. All of this evidence is there right now in the Grand Canyon for all to see. So the evidence is there. And everything we saw lined up with a massive water catastrophe. You say, well, why would all the national parks and all the PhDs and scientists, not all of them, but many of them, most of them, uh, and, and all the signage, why would they say millions and millions of years? In Alaska, they did the same thing. Well, it's because there's a, a, a mindset against the Bible. If, if the Bible says there was a global flood, they're going to use any other explanation for geology other than that. But any other explanation, which is slow uh, deposits of grains of sand over millions of years, can't explain all of this. Only thing that can explain what we found, science, is a massive water catastrophe, including plate tectonics and something that's called runaway subduction. And that is something that was theorized by Dr. John Baumgartner, who was here not that long ago. We made an Ingrace episode with him. He's the, the world's preeminent uh, uh, scientist that came up with the theory uh, or the model, actually, uh, for these plates moving quickly and subducting quickly, and uh, some evidence of that. I'm going to play a clip from him in a second. But first, let's reread the, the account of the flood from Genesis. The one that was there tells us what happened. Genesis 7, 21, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. This was a massive catastrophe upon the planet. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life and all that was in the dried land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth and Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So this was not 40 days of rain. This was 40 days of rain accompanied by massive tsunamis of ocean water as the ocean plates raised up, water coming over the land, the uh, unzipping of the crust as we see it today. It looks like a, a baseball seam right down the Atlantic and the Pacific and still forming new ocean plate. By the way, the entire plate of the oceans today are young. All the scientists, secular and Christian, agree that all the ocean plates are young. Well, the only way that could be true is rapid subduction, rapid forming of the, the new plates. Because today, how fast are the plates moving? The plates are only moving inches a year. Inches a year. They say it's the same rate your fingernail grows. And that's enough to cause you know a binding every 50 or so years and then a release of that as the plates either pass by each other or go under each, each other to cause an earthquake. Okay? But uh, this would have been fast, this would have been rapid, probably on the scale of five miles an hour is how fast the, 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 the plates were moving and the continents were spreading apart uh, during the flood of Noah, during these 150 days. And actually, they stayed on the ark for almost a year, or actually, it might have been over a year until all the dry land was there and it was safe to get out, off the ark. 
So that's verse 24 of Genesis 7. Now we turn to chapter 8. God remembered Noah in verse 1. And every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assaged. So God, there was a mechanism that God used. Where did all the water go? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month. Remember, it started on the second month, the seventh month. So this is five months that the ark was on the flood waters. And on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat, the, the ark finally settled down. Now, let's talk about the rapid catastrophic plate tectonics. Subducting and colliding, causing the high mountains. Look at Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, over 29,000 feet. Now that's, that's massive, right? That's incredibly high. Uh, the airplane we used to fly, it was a single engine, non-turbo, regular, uh, uh, regular engine that, that would lose compression after a certain altitude because the air is getting thinner. The highest we could fly was 18,000 feet. And we'd have to breathe oxygen to do that. Now, the, the better airplanes, pressurized airplanes could get up this high and even higher, but not much higher than that. You know, 40,000 feet is pretty high for an airplane. You're talking about a mountain that's 30, almost 30,000 feet tall, miles up. But that actually is not as... Amazing as the deep trenches, because there's something called the Challenger Deep. It's the deepest we found of the ocean that is almost 36,000 feet deep. So you could put Everest inside the Challenger Deep Trench. Okay, so where did the water go? Well, remember, as these plates were cooling, they dived down. And that's what we see in these big trenches. There's plenty of room as the water goes down to, to drain all the water off of the continents. Here's the clip from Dr. John Bumgartner within Grace as he talks about plate tectonics. Okay, so there is movement today of these plates, but it's very slow. You said it was about the, the speed of your fingernail growing. That's right. <laughs> so, but, but you're talking about catastrophic plate tectonics, meaning during the flood, you believe that the, the Earth's plates were moving at miles an hour? At a few miles per hour, on the order of maybe five miles an hour. Which is unbelievable. We can imagine something moving at that speed, five miles an hour, but it's, it represents a speed about a billion times faster than the plates are moving today. A logical question is, how could that possibly happen? Right. Well, it, it turns out that laboratory studies show that the Minerals in the mantle, when put under stress, weaken. It's surprising to know, to find that, that they can weaken by a factor of, of as much as a billion or even more than a billion. It can becomes weaker. And so if you have regions of cold material and denser because it's colder in the mantle with gravity acting on it, you've got the potential if things weaken with stress, but potential for a 
runaway situation. In other words, as this blob, cold blob, dense blob starts to sink, the stresses around it increase, making the region around it weaker. That allows the blob to sink faster, makes the stresses higher, allows the blob to... It just continues to, to speed up and speed up and then run away. And then run away. So this global plate tectonic model would have explained the mid-ocean seam and the, the ridge. And it would have also explained the fountains of the Great Deep, meaning these jets of water. Maybe go into that for a second. How would that uh, have contributed to the flood? Okay. Just inherent in this model, you, you have, have the, the tectonic plates moving rapidly apart. Yeah. So you have a, a lot of molten rock in direct contact with seawater at the bottom of the ocean. And what, what happens is that water is essentially very quickly, almost instantly converted to steam. Mm. At those temperatures and those pressures, that, that steam is converted into a, a steam jet, supersonic steam jet, and training liquid water in its fringes and carrying that water high into the atmosphere. How up high? In, into the stratosphere. <laughs> and then that, that liquid water uh, falls back as rain. The mantle, they've uh, been able to seismically uh, get Image, temperatures yeah. of it? Get basically... Uh, it's called seismic tomography uh-huh. using earthquake waves to basically uh, obtain a 3D image of the structure of the inside of the earth. And what did that show you that, again, fits in with what we're talking about with the catastrophic global plate tectonics? What these images show is a ring of cold material roughly around where the subduction around the Pacific would have taken place. At this at at the bottom of the mantle, the very bottom, just above the core, a ring of material, and its seismic speed uh, is uh, so high that if if that's due to a temperature difference, it means that that material is about five thousand degrees colder than adjacent material, which appears to be uh, the hot material that had been next to the core mantle boundary that's been squeezed up sort of like toothpaste in the middle of the ring on each side of the earth. So that's telling you what, that the crust coming in that was cold has gone down into the mantle and it's still... It's still at the temperature, very close to the temperature of this cold layer that we have at the, at the earth's surface today. So it fits with what you're thinking, but that doesn't fit the you know, centimeter to a year no. uh, subduction that we see today. No. It, so again, it fits the biblical flood model. Right. It means that that material had to have gotten down there very recently. Otherwise, it would have been heated up and, and you wouldn't see that temperature difference. Huh. So it's, it's powerful so evidence, evidence. Yeah. of a recent episode of catastrophic plate tectonics. Okay. So just to summarize that last point, very important. As the ocean plate was going down, subducting under the continental plates all around, especially the Pacific, the ring of fire, where all the volcanoes and earthquakes are, uh, all that material, they can measure it, the temperature of it by its density. When they have earthquakes, they have all these sensors, and they can tell throughout the earth the density that's down in the earth, way down. And that subduction plate that they know is down there is still cold. And if it's been millions of years moving at a fingernail's growth pace, that would have all been warmed up. 
It's still cold way down into the earth, which means rapid, rapid subduction and recent. Okay? Isn't that amazing? How the science lines up with what the Bible tells us happened. The fountains of the great deep opening, maybe 5,000, 4,000, 5,000 uh, years ago, a massive flood, and all of that would explain what happened and what we find in geology and in the, the folds uh, that were definitely folded when wet. You know, they're saying all these layers took millions of years, but then how could there be a fold? In all those layers, it's the same fold. And there's no fracturing and there's no reheating evidence. They've, they've, Dr. Snelling sampled those rocks from the Grand Canyon. So all the evidence lines up with exactly what the Bible says. Even Jacques Cousteau, I think he's a good authority. Um, he says, if the crust of the earth were to be leveled with great mountain ranges like the Himalayas and the ocean abysses like the Mariana Trench evened out, no land at all would show above the surface of the sea. You even out the earth, the earth is covered by 10,000 feet of water. Where did all the water come from? Where did all the water go? Well, we know it came from these fountains of the great deep, the ocean waters flooding the land, rain coming down uh, from the fountains of the great deep. And we know that the sinking as these plates cooled, these big trenches, all the water was fit into those places. This is another interesting passage that refers to it in a poetic way in a song. Psalm 104, verse 6. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. Talking about the flood. The water stood above the mountains. Okay, At thy rebuke they fled. At thy voice of thy thunder they hastened away. The receding floodwaters. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. The Bible said it will not be flooded again with water. And the way that God has designed it, the way that I think the earth has settled out uh, tectonically, uh, it's pretty stable now. It's moving slowly, but it's, it's not going to happen again. The runaway situation won't happen again. But that doesn't mean the earth isn't in for <laughs> a judgment. No, there's a greater judgment coming. And that's something we all need to be aware of. All right, so flood evidence is, is here, and we need to uh, know what it is. Let me end with one last segment we, that we filmed at the Grand Canyon. And this was talking about something called the Great Unconformity. It's a line. Everything above that line in the Grand Canyon is fossils, layers with fossils, lots of fossils. Everything below that is sedimentary layers with no fossils. So um, we look at that as the line of judgment, the line of Noah's flood. And Dr. Andrew Snelling compared that to the weight, all the weight above that line pressing down upon uh, Jesus. Our judgment came upon him. And then we'll wrap it up with the conclusion. All of this evidence is there right now in the Grand Canyon for all to see. The evidence for creation and Noah's flood is there. Now, what are you going to do with it? I think the the most powerful experience was the Blacktail Canyon because when Dr. Andrew Snelling was describing the layers and how that was, you know, the weight of sin that crushed, you know, Christ, you know, as that bottom layer, and then. He, and he had us to walk to that waterfall in silence. And I just could not keep it together. I just lost it because I thought I'm part of that. I'm part of that, those layers. I'm part of that sin that crushed Jesus who loves me so much. 
and it just broke my heart. But then I was also encouraged because he died for us, and he took that sin. He bore the weight. And so the question is, where did all the water go? Uh, Well, God prepared a place and uh, made these deep trenches in the ocean. All the water went back into the ocean. Uh, Is the Old Testament obsolete? That's the question. Well, we wouldn't know a lot about all the details of what we just read if it were. So it is not. It is still relevant. It's still important for us today uh, to know it, to read it, to study it. The entire counsel of God, the entire Bible. Uh, But in Genesis, we read about a promise of a Savior. And, and really, all the prophets were speaking of someone to come that would save us. Just like the ark saved Noah and his family, there is a person that actually is typified as the ark of safety, the ark of salvation, and his name is Jesus. He came into this earth, predicted when and where he would be born, what he would do, how he would die, and that he would rise again. And sure enough, a man entered the scene and did all of those things born of a virgin, no sin nature, did not have the curse of sin like we all have. He came and he died for our sins on a cross. He was perfect. He was even declared innocent three times by Pontius Pilate. He was still nailed to a cross because he loved you. He loved me. And that's God who created us, came into the earth, the God-man, Jesus, did great miracles He healed the blind and the lame. He was able to raise the dead, but he died himself, but he raised himself. He's alive and he wants to save you from your sins. There is judgment coming, but there's also salvation available to anyone who walks through the door of salvation, just as Noah walked through the door of the ark. Then the door closes. There's a day when this won't be available, but it is today. As long as you're alive, you're you can be saved. You say, well, I'll put it off. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till the next day. Here's my question to you. What guarantees you tomorrow? Truly, what guarantees you tomorrow? Uh, All sorts of things could happen before tomorrow. Not trying to scare you. I'm trying to alert you to the fact that you have an opportunity today to be saved. Why wouldn't you? Okay, let me show it to you this way. The Bible says that we have sin. Let this represent sin, my, my wallet and my, my hand, my left hand representing all of us. The Bible says we have sin. And I think that's an easy enough, uh, once we start to really examine ourselves, to say, yeah, uh, there's always someone worse than me, but have I ever lied? Have I ever cheated? Have I ever stolen? Have I ever lusted? Have I ever done and not done something I should have done? That's sin too. We all have sinned. We've all gotten upset when we shouldn't have. We've all been harsh when we shouldn't have. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came without sin. He died for our sin on a cross. I take my right hand representing Jesus reverently and take the wallet out of my left hand. He bore our sin. The weight of our sin on the cross must have been excruciating. He did that because he loved you. He rose again the third day and this is what he's offering. He's offering eternal life as a gift. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is believe in him, trust in him. It's a a message of hope that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. It's not about religion. It's not about doing better. It's about putting your trust in the one that was perfect and did it all on the cross for your sins. And if you've never made a decision to put your faith in him, 
Not in a religion, not in a church, not in a pastor, but in the person and work of Jesus. You believe in him, trust in him. The Bible says that you will not perish, but have everlasting life. He has you in his hand and he will never let go. That's a great truth. And I hope that you've received salvation by faith today.